everybody and welcome to another episode of RetroTube, the show where two pals from opposing ends of the geekery spectrum inflict their very favourite television shows of the 60s, 70s and 80s upon each other. This week it's my turn and I've held back a little but I couldn't wait any longer to discuss the very first 60s show I really got into and the entire reason I am so obsessed with the decade as a whole, Randall and Hopkirk Deceased. Randall and Hopkirk was the last ITC show of the 60s, broadcast between late 1969 and early 1970, and follows the adventures of a constantly down-on-his-luck private detective, Jeff Randall, played by the very lovely character actor Mike Pratt, and his ghostly partner, Marty Hopkirk, played by the well-known comedy actor, full-time scouser and Evertonian, Kenneth Cope. Australia's finest export, Annette Andre, also stars as Jeannie Hopkirk, Marty's widow, and their adventures and hijinks every week often flip between the sublime and the ridiculous, from scene to scene, never mind episode to episode. Adam, before this week, what's been your experience of Randall and Hopkirk? Have you seen it before? What were your thoughts leading into the episodes? And most importantly, did you enjoy it? Well, this is a show that, um, obviously, there has been two very distinctive versions of so there was oh, this yes. original one and then there was the Reeves and Mortimer one neither of which I've seen at all so I'm familiar with oh. the iconography of it and the man in the white suit mm-hmm. and I'm familiar with the uh, premise and everything like that but I've never seen an episode of either version so wow. it was yes it was uh, interesting going into it and I was uh, full of beans and full of enthusiasm and it seemed like a, a nice high concept straightforward show <laughs> mentioning no names yes fair <laughs> any, enough <laughs> any uh, previous previous shows we might have um, in the recent past have encountered but yeah a nice straightforward one with a good easy to grasp premise I'm, 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 I'm very pleased excellent could you possibly give us an idea of the show's premise mm. very very simple it's about two private detectives uh, one of whom is dead and is a ghost and can now only be seen by his partner and it's yes. as straightforward as that. It pretty much is. Mm. That's it. The end. Yeah, that, that's it. Very, very clean. It is. It's not even remotely prisoner-esque. It's not, no. We know what everyone wants, <laughs> what they're intending to do, who wants what. And why they resigned. <laughs> exactly why they resigned, because they were run over by a car. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that generally tends to work. Yes. <laughs> And in fairness, actually, he doesn't even resign, poor devil. It gets, he has to, even though he's dead, he has to still do the same job. I know. And uh, he has to uh, just stand idly by where, while Jeff flirts outrageously with his widow. <laughs> he just occasionally gets to play a golf game on the, the uh, iPad, but that's it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I thought I'd drop that one in for you. And I'm, I appreciate it. Especially, especially given Marty's proclivity towards poltergeistism, which I don't think we saw in either of these two episodes. Right, um, he but does he's lots very of blowing. Good, he's very good at typing. Oh, is he? Okay, yes. I've seen it. Yeah, I saw him do lots of blowing in these two episodes. He does. He does a lot of blowing. Good old, good old Marty. Hmm. Um, so we watched two episodes. Uh, the episodes were a disturbing case and for the girl who has everything. Uh, I chose 
a disturbing case, partly because it's... I don't like to say it's my favourite episode because I have so many episodes that I love yeah. in the show. Um, but it is certainly top five. And also, it, the screenplay was by Mike Pratt. I noticed that, yeah. he's a He was a multi-talented fellow. Yeah, he, he was also a songwriter. He wrote songs uh, yes, with Tommy Steele. So there was yes. a... Uh, children's show that i watched it's in the late 70s and probably went through to the early 80s but i watched it in the late 70s called called a handful of songs which is a man and a woman singing some songs and the theme tune yeah it was written by mike pratt and tommy Steele. well there you go Mm. did you know you didn't know i'm going to tell you this Mm. now um tommy Steele was in the merchant navy with my auntie i didn't know that wow auntie eileen yes and it was before he was tommy Steele. it was while he was still tommy hicks and auntie eileen was the head stewardess and Tommy Hicks was uh, just a, a cheeky little sod. Hmm, was he nice? Um, but he was lovely. Oh, that's good. That's he was adorable. Yeah. And Auntie Eileen had a great deal of time for him. Oh, brilliant. Um, I also chose for The Girl Who Has Everything, partly because it is less silly than a disturbing case. Not that that's very disturbing. Oh, really? I had it the other way around. Really? Yeah, in my in my mind, the girl who has everything was the sillier one. One is a lot sillier than the other. Mm. Um, but I also chose it because of the plethora of guest artists. Um, so let's have a start with uh, a disturbing case. Can you please let me know what the plot is? I can. This is about a, a psychiatrist who has a, a German accent because this is necessary for... It, because if you don't have a German accent, then you can't be a psychiatrist. That is a fact. So we we have our um, we have our obligatory dastardly foreigner who is yes um, hypnotizing rich people into allowing him to burgle them essentially yes undisturbed and that's mm-hmm. pretty much uh, that's pretty much the plot. So the other half of this episode it involves Jeannie, who is uh, Hopkirk's widow. Uh, she overhears yes. uh, Randall apparently talking to himself or talking to to Marty, but there's no one in the room. So she uh, she and her sister sister there's a there's another woman there. They have Jenny Jenny and Jeannie. I don't know. I mean, that seems unlikely that they're sisters with those names. But well, let's go with it. Let's run with this. <laughs> okay. They're color coded ladies. One is red and one is green. So we don't get. We don't get the 60s blondes mixed up because we've colour-coded them. And they're both Australian, although not in the show. No, that's true. So they overhear him talking to himself and they decide to get... Uh, they decide to have him see a psychiatrist and he gets sectioned rather alarmingly. He does. And this is the element for me that makes it feel less silly, that it goes quite dark. He ends up being drugged and held against his will in a psychiatric facility which is quite it has quite a dark middle to it this episode but it so happens that the um psychiatrist who is assigned to his case or somehow ends up in his case is the same dastardly german who has been hypnotizing uh rich people to allow themselves to be robbed and there we have the setup and my first thought on it or my my first note is that uh the show was created by spenis duna yes also known as dennis spooner who we shall meet again very very soon so the show this episode opens uh with a, a red lady and a green lady arriving at a, an apartment and they did look to me like they had escaped from a children's game show one was from the red team and one was from the green team because they are dressed entirely 
in one colour each. The colours were amazing and the wardrobes were amazing. That's one of the fun things, I think, always about these 60s shows is just the costumes and the, the bright colours and just the things they wear. Very much so. You wouldn't really get this in the the 70s shows. Annette Andre, who plays uh, Jeannie, she's, yes. I, I haven't fully researched this, but she's possibly the only actor who has appeared in both Prisoner and The Prisoner. Quite possibly. She crosses over there and I, I don't know if there's anyone else who has ever actually done that. Because the reason that Prisoner is known as Prisoner Cell Block H in this country is because of the Prisoner. Right. In the same way that David Bowie is known as David Bowie. Because of Davy Jones. So there's, there's, there's quite a lot of angry men in the beginning of this episode. Um, Marty and Jeff are having a huge row about Marty's car. Yes, which is not Marty's car anymore because yeah, Marty's dead. He's dead and he doesn't need it. So it's now Jeannie's car, as I mm. like to call it, the Batmobile. Okay. Because the num- the number plate is uh, BAP two hundred and forty five B. Wow, you uh, know your stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <I'm, laughs> we've all we've always known I'm this much of a geek. Um, that in fact that the very same car comes up in an episode of The Persuaders and is driven by Tony Curtis. Um, oh, really, with the same number plate? Yeah, the exact same car. And wow. I properly, properly fangirled as soon as I saw it. <laughs> yeah, Paul, I feel a bit sorry for Jeff. He's just being hectored, hectored quite aggressively by a Liverpudlian ghost. Like like an angry Tom O'Connor. <laughs> and you are not, I repeat, not having Jeannie's car. My car. I need a car, Marty. Look what happened to it last time. Two days of your driving and it finished up in the garage with one of the doors off. It needed a service. You're irresponsible, Jeff. That's your trouble. No consideration. You treat everybody's car the way you treat your own. And now what's happened to it? Smashed. And then in the end, Jeff has had enough. And he shouts back, look, I need Jeannie's car. I'm taking Jeannie's car. And that is that. And slams the filing cabinet shut. And then all of a sudden he hears behind him, Jeff? Who are you talking to? Yes. Oh, just <laughs> just working a few things out. It's fine. I'm just I'm talking to my um, myself. Um, <laughs> uh... We also have the businessman stroke tycoon is having a very angry moment with the police. So we we see very early on he's being robbed under hypnosis. So he's also having a blazing row with the yes. police. And there's so many angry men that these these two happy colour-coded ladies turn up. And I was kind of thinking, I want them to be the stars of the show. They're much more sedate and merry. They are. I wanted them to go off and they have are. their red and green adventures. And I was happy. I was just stuck. It's not even, it's just the way my brain works with the, the old um, Milky Way advert, the, the red car and the blue car, <laughs> car had a race. The blue car had a race. Yes. <laughs> Why don't we bring the doctor to him? Oh. Oh, Jean, I'm supposed to be the one from the sticks. Well, this is the 20th century. We have means of collecting evidence. Tape recorder. Basically, they set up a tape recorder in his office to catch him uh, having having his latest row with his dead friend. A very well hidden tape recorder that nobody would ever notice. Yes, this huge white cable, <laughs> giant white cable, but nobody would notice. It's fine, and they catch him out having having a rant with Marty. To be fair, they do spend an awful lot of their time rowing. They are a little old married couple. They're not chill. No, they are not. But Mike 
and Kenny both genuinely, genuinely loved each other. Oh, that's there was, nice. There was a huge amount of love between you can tell, all three lead actors. I think like with Tony Curtis and Roger Moore, you can tell that there's yeah. a, a chemistry there and they're not just sort of barely tolerating each other's company. No, they are. They are really, really good friends. I mentioned before the likely lads and just sort of having, having to have people push them into the... So they're in the same room as each other. Yeah, so he goes off to see Dr Lambert, uh, played by Gerald Flood. Gerald Flood is the worst Doctor Who companion. Right. Well, that, <laughs> Poor that, Gerald that's Flood. A, I know, I feel bad for him already. Entirely not Gerald Flood's fault, though. He does the voice of a robot called Chameleon. Uh, we, oh. won't, we won't go too deeply into that, but it was it was built as an actual robotic companion, so it wasn't a person in a robot costume. It was an actual robot that they built to be a companion in Doctor Who, and Gerald Flood did the voice, and the thing didn't really work. So they just shoved it in a cupboard, and it barely appeared at all. So he's kind of like, he's, he's much more memorable in this. And the other characters, so there's quite a lot of uh, different threads. There's, like, there's three different threads running through this. The other pair of characters in this is the buffoonish police detective and his hapless sergeant yeah um inspector nelson turns up a few times in the show um and for some reason jeff comes up against the local constabulary quite quite often um and none of none of them like him none of them like him but nobody knows why none of them like him it's just uh, Randall, you're an idiot. Yeah, it's a private detective trope that the police have to hate the private detective, even though the private detective is usually more successful. And possibly this is the reason they hate him, that he's used to, they're often more successful in solving the crime, but you can't. Even Sherlock Holmes has the police eye-rolling at him, and he's that is practically true. on their books. I mean, Sherlock Holmes. Uh, so all of this is going on while Jeff is uh, trying to get his car back. Uh, which has been used in a robbery, um, which is why he needs to borrow Jeannie's car so that he can go and speak to the police about it. Jeff ends up being sectioned. Yes, he ends up being sectioned. And that this is, is the true. bit that makes me think it's it's less silly because it, it is like the whole theme of forcible, you know, somebody being forcibly restrained against their will in a mental facility and being injected and things. I'm like, wow, this has gone really dark. He's like, he's having a genuinely bad time. It does get a bit daft at later on actually there's a there is a whole a, a whole set piece the whole bit that I, that i meant really yes jeff is hypnotized so that he it's basically a game of simon says where he will only follow the commands of dr conrad's voice mm. which means that whenever marty is asking him to do things he has to basically mimic dr conrad's voice i assume that's the actor is overdubbing yes so they're having a great time doing that. You can tell they're really relishing that daft set piece. I mean, you say a set piece, but it is it takes up literally half of the episode. <laughs> it's quite a lot, isn't it? The, the whole plan with the with the drugging is to make Jeff forget that Marty exists, which is why Marty has to speak like Dr. Conrad because Jeff Jeff is is in is in a frame of mind where he thinks Marty Marty doesn't exist, but he knows Dr. Conrad does exist. And he's the one um, giving commands. Yeah, there's there's a lot of that going on. And he has and Marty has to tell Jeff how to beat up the bad guys, because obviously <laughs> it's the sixties, so there's a lot of punching mm. going on. Yeah, uh and, and it, it's an it's an admirable thirty two and a half minutes before we have our first punch. Which for a sixties show, that's very restrained. I mean so restrained. 
so restrained and doesn't often happen. But once once we have our first punch, the seal is broken. They go for it. It's punching a go-go. Someone's knocked out because they're hit in the midriff with a chair. Marty makes Jeff believe that he can fight with the strength of 10 men and also that he is a karate expert. Yes. <laughs> Black belt. Uh, yes. <laughs> All right, Mr. Randall, you are karate experts, the best in the world. Black belt. So belt's a big one first. Get ready, block. Stomach. Head. Well done. Block. I'm sorry, Jeff, I can't talk fast enough. That's the way you do it, Hals. Attack! You see, you're... Jeff's glorious nightdress, which he wears for most of the episode. Mm. It's, I, just, I just needed to mention it because it's glorious. <laughs> it's It's just awful. Absolutely awful. <laughs> and then when he wakes up from his trance... He's like, what the hell am I wearing? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, I really need to get some pants. <laughs> Something I was going to ask you is, um, did you see the Vic and Bob variation of this? And what did you think to it? I did not. Ah, was it a deliberate decision to not be? Yeah, it was a deliberate To thing. not be outraged. I'm, I've not got a problem with Vic, Bob or Amelia Fox. So you had no appetite for, for seeing the remake? Uh, no, no. Uh, and it's, it is because um, I'm such a such a fan of the 60s yeah. one. I just, I, it's not that I, I don't like different versions of, of things. It's just this is too special. No, I know what you mean. And there's been a few shows that I've found difficult to watch the updated day of the triffids and the updated survivors mm. and i think a lot of it as well it's not just the it's not just about the premise and the concept i think there's the period charm is a lot of it as well so taking randall yeah. and hopkirk out of 1969 and putting into 1999 or whenever it whenever it was yeah it you lose a lot it's like the color twilight mm. zones that they made in the 80s it's like it's it's fine telling those stories and they might be very good stories but you're not in black and white and it's just the look of the shows and just the the way they kind of sizzle on the screen and that sort of lovely black and white and you get a real feel for the that late 50s early 60s and William Shatner sweating his way through some kind of dystopian nightmare you can't replicate that so I think it's the same with remaking The Prisoner or remaking Day of the Triffids or that kind of thing absolutely so the second girl we looked at no (laughs) so this the second episode we looked at is mm. for the girl who has everything. Something for the girl with everything. Beautiful. So would you like to explain the plot of the girl who has every, everything? Mm, I would. So this one, this one to me was the sillier one, or the lighter one at least. Oh. It's about, it's basically Scooby-Doo. So it's about a wealthy woman who lives in an old house and she's been, uh, she's being menaced by a ghost and uh, Freddie Jones turns up uh, in, on a motorbike and he asks Jeff Randall for his help to... Uh, Freddie Jones is a ghost chaser and he asks uh, Jeff Randall for his help because he doesn't believe it's a real ghost. He believes there's something fishy going on, some kind of jiggery-pokery. So he wants a private detective to try and get to the bottom of it as well. And um, he is uh, amusingly inept as a ghost hunter because he is standing right next to a ghost and he says I know whenever I enter an establishment whether there's a ghost or not I feel it quite a gift it is put me near a ghost and I can tell you immediately 
He's not very good, is he, Jeff? Yeah, so that's basically the premise. So they, so uh, Jeff and Marty go to this supposedly haunted house mm. to discover what's really going on, and then it plays out from there. And the episode opens with Jeff in bed, and I thought he'd look just like Kramer from Seinfeld when he's in bed and his hair's all standing up on end. Yeah, he does a bit, yeah. That's actually the thing. The thing I forgot to mention is that um, Randall and Hopkirk, uh, before having seen it, it's a very iconic show, and you've got, like, the alive guy and then the dead one in the white suit. But I think Kenneth Cope is so eye-catching in his white suit and he's he's so much the thing that defines that iconic image that when I came to actually watch it, Mike Pratt didn't look familiar at all. Oh. Like, I, I think I just... I'd sadly never looked in his direction <laughs> because Kenneth Cope is so eye-catching and he's so much the the element that you're looking at I go oh yeah it's Randall and Hopkirk deceased because there's the one in the white suit so we know we know it's mm. that show so, so we know he's the ghost mm. the, the other guy is just the other guy he's the straight man he's he's um he is very yeah, much he's he's the Tommy Cannon yes um so yeah we're totally in Scooby-Doo territory in this episode and we know right from the start that it's not going to be a real ghost and we can just tell from the scenes of the ghost menacing uh the lady of the house who is? And uh, it took me a while to. If I had to Google it, I'm really sorry to everyone listening. I had to Google this to find out. Oh who it my was. goodness! But I, I'm not a big James Bond fan. I know this is you a had sin. Had to Google Miss Moneypenny. I had to Google Lois Maxwell. No, I didn't. I know who Lois Maxwell is, but I had to. I didn't recognise her on screen. So uh, yeah, it was quite shameful that I didn't know who she was until I looked looked up the cast list for this episode. But it's very good seeing her. It's because it, I I had only, as far as I know, only ever seen her playing Miss Money Penny. So it was nice seeing her in a very different role, playing this this quite spoilt rich lady living in a big house with her her flamboyant artist husband. Yes, Larry, who is having her flamboyant artist husband does not care about the fact that she's being haunted. No. And I, I have to note here, I'm being extremely sarcastic when I say flamboyant artist husband, because he's the, yeah. he's the straightest, dullest. He, he goes around in a grey suit everywhere. He's the least likely painter you could possibly imagine. Yes, I need to be with my art. Yes. I need to do my art. Yes, this, this very, oh, very straight man in a grey suit. <laughs> You're an accountant. Look at... <laughs> Look at your shirt. Yeah. <laughs> this really upsets Miss Moneypenny. Mm. And she says that if he if he doesn't stay with her, then she's going to cut off his allowance. And he's like, oh, jib that for a game of soldiers. I'm still going. So he goes out. He's, he's off. And this leaves her alone with, <clears throat> with Jean-Claude. Jean-Claude in his pink trousers. And his pink trousers, yeah. the, the the manservant who is, I don't really know, the husband, Larry, is having an affair with Carol Cleveland. Yeah, and it was actually really nice to see. Uh, we've we've met Carol Cleveland in a in the role in the Persuaders, but it was a a walk on cameo, and it wasn't actually that different from what she would play in Monty Python. But th- this is the first time I think I've seen her do straight acting, and she was very good. Yeah. She she was she was very dramatic, mm. and I think the unfortunate thing about Monty Python is that all their female roles played by uh, actual women and not members of the Monty Python team is that they're all quite blank. They're all sort of the standard 
Mm. late 60s, early 70s, proper airhead bimbos. So Carol Cleveland, unfortunately, has to spend a lot of the time with a really vacant expression. <laughs> Just like nothing behind the that eyes. It's a proper meaty role for it. It's a, another very small role, but but you actually get to see that she can act and not just stare vacantly and go, my brain hurts. Yes, and just wobble her bazookas all over the place, <laughs> yes. which is basically all, all they really ask her to do in mm. Monty Python. Yes, it's a shame. Uh, which is which is a shame because she's, she's clearly capable of an awful lot more and wasn't really given a great deal more to do. For one thing, Larry and I were together long before she met him. We'd, we'd known each other for five years before she came along and offered him the earth. I'm very fond of money too, Mr. Randall. So you deliberately let him go? Oh, no, I didn't really let him go, did I? We were doing very well on her handouts. She was very generous. And she never once suspected. I didn't know or care. I loved Larry, and she killed him. It was an accident. Oh, yes. Yes, that's what the coroner will say. But she killed my Larry. Accident or not, she killed him! Uh, but it was, it was really nice to see her, and, um, and I, I, I really like her dress. It was uh, I can't remember a, her dress. half, half oh, no, green, I can. half orange. Yes, I can. Re- no, I, I remember that. Yeah, her halfy-halfy dress. That was really good. Yeah, yeah. In fact, she wore the same dress in Man in a Suitcase, so I presume it's, it's her, her actual own. dress. Ah, or maybe she kept it from one and wore it in the other. So it became That's her quite dress. possible. Yeah. yeah, it reminded me of some kind of cake, but I was probably hungry. Yeah, and you're always after cake. Anyway, I, I, I'm such a macho fellow, I am often daydreaming about cake. I know, I know. <laughs> it's one of the things I love most about Aww. you. Uh, so, yes, we discover that Carol Cleveland is the other woman mm-hmm. and... And not long after we discover that Carol Cleveland is the other woman, we discover that Miss Moneypenny is the murderer. We do. Spoiler. I, I mean, I don't think it matters too much that <laughs> it's a spoiler alert because, you know, it, it was shown in 1969 before yeah. either of us were born. So if nobody has seen it at this point, it's, it's not, not super not twists and turns. We, well, we, halfway through the episode, <laughs> we have the reveal that Larry attacks her dressed as in the ghost outfit, or he apparently attacks her and she shoots him. And we've, we've, We've assumed it's probably Larry and he gets killed halfway through the episode and revealed to be the murderer. So with half the episode left to run, it really narrows down who it's going to be. So it's either going to be Miss Moneypenny or it's going to be Jean-Claude in his pink trousers or both. Yes. And guess what? It's both. It's both. (laughs) Absolutely. Jeff and Marty, mainly Jeff, gets a little bit too inquisitive. And so Miss Moneypenny and Jean-Claude trap him in a priest hole. Because, of course... Behind the standard issue revolving bookcase, because there has to be a... If there's a big house, there has to be a revolving bookcase. It's the law. Just to make it that bit more Scooby-Doo. Unfortunately, because Marty is a ghost, Mm. he can't help Jeff get out of the priest hole. But he does know a lady who can. The very lovely owner of the cafe. They spend some time in uh, the local village, the nearby village for the big house. And uh, there's a cafe there which contains not very many people. There's a lady with a, do- a girl with a dog. There's a vicar who has the vicar nose. All vicars have to have the same nose. Yeah. If you have a if you have a good sized beaky nose and a bit of an overbite, and you're an actor, you will always be cast 
as the vicar. Always, yeah. And basically, this is how come the Reverend Richard Coles is a famous reverend, because he looks exactly like all vicars are portrayed on TV. He really does. Uh, but we have um, the owner of the cafe, who is a psychic. She is. Uh, and she is Mrs. Pleasance. And she is just delightful. And I fell in love with Mrs. Pleasance. Oh, well, she is worthy of your love. She yes. was a lovely little old lady. She is to this episode what uh, Miss Hawthorne is to the demons. But if anything, even lovelier, somewhat she's older. Just, she's just a delight. Mm. Mm. So she's this little old lady. And much to Marty's surprise, she can see and hear him. And so there's just an absolutely delightful scene where they just spend some time hanging out. So Marty in his white suit's hanging out with this lovely little old lady. And he loves having a new little pal. Good morning. Morning. Can I get you anything? No, thanks. I'm waiting for someone. You don't mind? You can see me. Of course. But nobody can see or hear me. Only my partner, Jeff. Well, sorry, but I can. Always have. Ever since I was a little girl, psychic, you see, from my mother's side of the family. This is fantastic. Are you sure I can't get you anything? Yes, yes, quite sure. Well, then, if you don't mind, I must get on. No, no, please do. I'll join you. I just don't believe it. Oh, the kitchen. I used to employ two girls and a washing-up woman, but one has to move with the times. I had a time and motion man in. He recommended all this. And now you do it all by yourself? All alone. What's that? How to be your own maintenance engineer. I wouldn't call myself an expert, but I'm learning. (laughs) (laughs) Mrs Pleasance, shouldn't you call somebody until you've mastered it? You are a worrier, young man. That's what my wife used to say. Yeah, he's having a great time. So he's just hanging out in the kitchen and uh, she's poking around with the electrics. She's got dodgy electrics in her um, uh, her kitchen and he's like, oh, be careful And that's with not that. even a euphemism. No. <laughs> she genuinely does have dodgy electrics in her kitchen. She does. And yes, it's a really nice scene in the middle of this sort of quite plot-heavy Scooby-Doo story. That was this nice little interlude of this these two delightful characters having a nice time together. And just hanging out. Jeff's reaction when he discovered that Marty had a new pal was really nice as well because mm. he was genuinely happy for Marty. Like, oh wow, this is wonderful. Now, now two of us, now two of us can talk to Marty. This is great. <laughs> yes, it takes Rather the load than, off me. A bit. Hey, go get mm. your own ghost. <laughs> yeah. So yes, when Jeff is in trouble later in the episode when he's locked in the priest hole, uh, Marty gets Mrs. Pleasance to come and help. Yes, and I. The bit that made me laugh out loud most was the way she treats the vicar. <laughs> oh, shut up, vicar. <laughs> <She's>, <laughs> she says to Marty, quick. Of course quick. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to Mr <laughs> yeah. Hopkirk. She says, quick, follow me into the kitchen. And the vicar sort of stands up and goes, okay. And she oh, shoves okay. him full in the chest, <laughs> sit back down. She says, not you. So they rush off and get her. So she is able to uh, rescue. And all the time as well, I found this a bit annoying, actually having said all these nice things about it, that that they were, Jeff stuck in the priest hole and Marty's trying to figure out how, how to get him out. And I was just saying, just get Mrs. Pleasance. Just go get, and he's trying all these different things. I'll just go get Mrs. Pleasance. And I'll go down and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll get the girl with the dog because she's got a dog and ghosts can, dogs can react to ghosts. So I'll get her to follow me. Just get Mrs. Pleasance. But um, 
I guess we we have to get the running time to 45 minutes. Exactly. They got there in the end. <laughs> they did. And that's the main thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but me, meanwhile, during the inquest, um, Miss Moneypenny is flashing the inside of her thighs to the coroner. <laughs> she is. Uh, and he's in, very in distracted. In basic instinct type styley. It's a little bit creepy. And when Jeff and Mrs. Pleasance finally stumble in, Miss Moneypenny decides that she's going to blame Jean-Claude and that, results in the most terribly acted double take anybody <laughs> has ever seen in the history of the world. Jean-Claude made me do it. And then he just kind of didn't do anything. And then about five seconds later, yeah. then the double take. And then I don't think he thought he'd done it properly. So I think he did, a, did it again. It was... It it was it was quite a moment, and um, and I don't think he managed to convey any kind of emotion he oh, was dear. supposed to. Oh, Jean Claude! In um, your pink trousers and your was, Davy Jones jumper. I know, I know. It was the, the pink trousers just totally went to his head. But it was it was too late by this point. They'd already realised that um, Miss Moneypenny was the evil baddie and the murderer, and uh, she went off to jail. And presumably, so did. Jean Claude, because I would imagine so. He's, he's complicit. Yes. They were illegal on their own. <laughs> this this episode also has a punch up, uh, but this one's even it more does. restrained. This is thirty nine minutes before the punch. The first punch is thrown for a sixties show. This is this is practically abstinence. Yeah, uh, but it was a pretty nasty fight. You know, there was chains and all kinds of things. It was, but it uh, has bongos. <laughs> Jeff got beaten up. Mm-hmm. This this happens most episodes. Um, in the normal course of uh, a 60s spy show, the, the hero or heroes get involved in scrapes and fights and they invariably will win. Mm. This does not happen in Mandel and Hopkirk. Jeff, God love him, is a terrible fighter. He, he I mean, he's not afraid of anybody. He's not afraid of getting himself all mixed up and throwing a punch or three. He's just really bad at it. Mm. And he just gets battered by everybody. I like that he's generally a bit of a loser because I think one of the things about the swinging 60s shows uh, is that often the the lead characters are quite swish. Yes, Jeff is and not. And they're quite, quite high status and quite... Uh, smooth mm. but jeff is jeff is very ragged and yeah he's not the he's got quite a nice he's got some groovy pictures stuck to his uh bedroom wall but he lives in like a grotty bed set uh and he's his kitchen's in the same room as his bedroom and he smokes and eats fried eggs yeah in his own bedroom and that kind of thing and so he's he's no james bond he's no napoleon solo he's none of those things no. he's just jeff um which is endearing in his own way because it is, yeah. he's 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 a nice guy. Yeah, he's much more identifiable than than you you mentioned. Yeah, you can't help but love Jeff. Mm. He is, and you don't see this in either of the episodes that we saw. Mm. But he is quite a ladies' man. All right, okay. Um, but unfortunately, he does get thwarted quite a lot by Marty, right? Which is the subject of <laughs> of quite a lot of frustration. Yeah, in a lot of ways. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So the episode ends on a gag, but it's not like the usual gag. 
No, it's a sad gag. It's a sad gag. And I was quite, I was a bit upset by this. So it ends with, with everything solved and they're back in the office and they're a bit over the moon that they've now got a third person that can interact with them and they can, they can use this to their advantage. And it's just nice for Marty to have a friend. And then unexpectedly, uh, Mrs. Pleasance turns up in the office door and she's dressed all in white. Yes, in a little lovely white suit with a little... Little white hat. Little white hat, like she's going to a wedding or something. But we see it from yes. Jeff's point of view, and he can't see anyone. And essentially, she's just she's electrocuted herself to death, monkeying about in her kitchen. So, in between solving the crime and rescuing them from the priest hole and all that, and shoving a vicar in the chest, um, she's electrocuted herself to death. Yes. And she goes off to heaven. She does. She bids uh, Marty farewell, and they have a touching final scene. And she disappears. What are you doing here? Hey? I've just come to say goodbye. The electricity. Afraid so. Pay my respects to that nice Mr. Randall for me, won't you? And the best of luck to your business. Goodbye. 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 What's all that about? Who are you talking to? Mrs. Pleasance. She's burnt her last scone. You mean? I'm afraid so. Oh well, that's life. If you see what I mean. And it's a, a, you know, quite apart from the usual Scooby-Doo, wah 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 ending that we've talked about before. It's quite a. It yes. works really well, but it is, and it's it's yeah, you know, it's not depressing because obviously she, there's an afterlife, so it's all fine. Yeah. But, but it's still poignant, and it's like, oh, she she died. <laughs> I know, I know. I don't like Mrs. Pleasant's dying. No. It's just, it's just Marty was so upset. Kenneth Cope is very good. Uh, there's there are other poignant scenes when he's like in just very very brief scenes when he is uh, alone with his wife and he's just gazing adoringly at her and that's quite oh, poignant. Yeah. These sort of quite poignant, lovely scenes where he's clearly still very in love with her and she's just. There and just after Jeff's gone out the door and he's about to follow him, he just has a moment. And he blows her a kiss. He blows her a kiss, And she yeah. looks up quite fondly. Yeah, it's almost it's like all, she, she senses cute. the kiss, yeah. So it has it yeah. has moments of heart. It's not all it's not all gloss and bongos. And it's not all silliness. It's not all silliness. It's, it does uh, have these little touching moments. definite moments of emotion. Yeah, very nice, very nice. So that was that. That was those two, those two episodes. And I know the first one was one of your favourites, but I think I like the second one more. It was a little lighter. I think I liked the characters a bit more. Uh, it didn't have the... I mean, it was quite dark. It went, for all its Scooby-Doo stuff, it did go quite dark because there were killings in it. Mm. So Freddie Jones's character uh, ends up murdered and uh, Larry, the world's straightest artist, ends up murdered. So it has two killings in at least that I can think of, uh, plus Mrs. Pleasance getting fried at the end of it. Poor Mrs. Pleasance. So Scooby-Doo never panned out like this. But it, it, it is very much the thing of having the, you know, taking the ghost disguise off and, oh, it was Jean-Claude all the time. Oh, whoever would have guessed. It was the, the pink trousers gave it away every yeah. time. Every time. So I think I just like that country setup, that sort of country house setup more and it was just it just felt a little lighter and frothier and just a bit dafter yeah i can appreciate that okay so i'm going to do the questions let's have the regular Um, questions who were who was your favorite and least favorite character favorite mrs pleasance 
Lovely yes. Mrs. Pleasant. She was great. This is a very, very minor niggle, and this isn't necessarily with this show specifically, but just shows of this era in general, is the fact that there's always a reset at the end of every episode, that we couldn't have Mrs. Pleasant sticking around and becoming a regular character. And I, I like the idea in these things that that actually the situation grows and develops and... Uh, I don't know. So throughout the series, do the other characters ever, like, does Jeannie ever realise that he's talking to her late no. husband? So this is a shame. <laughs> I think what I think I would find that a little frustrating that that never happens. I, I would like to see it sort of maybe develop more. Than maybe, and I know these things, it, it's difficult because these things are often shown out of order, which is probably now they're much more rigorous about showing shows in the correct order but i think probably back then it was a bit more it was a bit more fast and loose with broadcast order yes definitely yeah it's a shame that they out of necessity had to write mrs pleasance out rather than and she didn't need to be in every episode but just actually have a character it's like oh there's somebody else who sees marty and that's now a part of this world and one day that genie will realize oh my husband is there and maybe they can find a way to communicate with her as well and just sort of have it as not as a sort of individual island episodes but actually have a, a long yeah a, like an ongoing arc to it an ongoing development of the story so that's a minor thing there, there are episodes where other people uh get to see marty and, yeah. and can communicate with him and there are episodes where genie's role as a widow is used to effect right during the plot and you know she's taken in sometimes by fake spiritualists and and stuff like that so it's it's a thing it's a thing that gets revisited quite yeah quite a lot so for the purposes of the over of the show as a whole like that's that's why genie never finds out um and also marty does say in the very first episode that he doesn't want genie to know because it had frightened her too much um but he wants to make sure that he's always around to protect her but he chose Jeff out of Jeff and Jeannie because he knew that Jeff would be able to take care of Jeannie. There are, there are big reasons why Jeannie doesn't know and will never know. And it's just Marty and Jeff. I mean, not least of all because they, they're partners and they solve the mysteries together. Um, yeah. That's, that's really the main thing uh, as, as far as the story goes. But character-wise... There, there are big reasons as to why Jeannie doesn't know about Marty. My least favourite character is actually the, exactly the same answer as my the answer I gave for the Thunderbirds episode. It's the dastardly foreigner. Oh, the dastardly foreigner. Can we stop having dastardly foreigners, please? Dr Conrad, the dastardly foreigner. It's, it, it, it's a dastardly foreigner in both episodes, in fact. I was actually thinking of the German psychiatrist, but in this one we also have Jean-Claude. So we have we have Jean-Claude and we have... I was thinking uh, specifically of, of uh, Dr Conrad, but uh, Jean-Claude didn't mind... I didn't mind him so much because he had pink trousers and a Davy Jones jumper, but I think just the cliche of the the Teutonic psychiatrist and the dastardly foreigner and that yes. kind of thing. Um, what was your favourite, least favourite moment scene thing about the show as a whole? I think my favourite thing is that it does have heart. Yes. And that isn't just hijinks. There are a lot of hijinks and there's nothing wrong with that, but it does have, does have those little moments of heart as well. Mm. Least favourite thing. I don't know if this is the least favourite thing or just a thing that's occurred to me or occurred to me while I was watching it. Um mm. So I'll point it out that I think that plot-wise, Marty is underused. Yeah, I think he probably is. For example, the bit when they're staking out uh, in the second episode, they're staking out waiting for the pretend ghost rattling his chains to arrive. And Jeff is sitting in a chair 
waiting. Marty's sitting in another chair waiting. And so this is a man who's invisible. He can go into any room. He can teleport himself. So why isn't he scoping out and seeing who's getting dressed into... You know, he can look in all these other rooms to see who's plotting. And, and this would... This would make short shrift of the story, obviously, but it would be up to the writers to work around this. So there was sort of moments where he was just there to keep Jeff company, Where whereas actually if they were doing proper investigating, his invisibleness and his the fact that he can move through walls and things wasn't fully utilized in service of the plot you kind of think no don't just sit there just you know go off and yeah and there were things there were there, there were moments particularly in the the other episode there were moments when he did exactly do that and it was him that rumbled uh dr conrad's plot by just being in the room while dr conrad was plotting yeah he is normally a lot better at jumping around and finding things out mm. but the but a, a very big character trait of marty is that he's a massive wimp <laughs> yes. um, he has. He, he really, he really is. So anything to do with, despite being a ghost, anything mm. to do with ghosts terrifies him. Right. Uh, so he, he doesn't like getting involved in any of that kind of thing, which is why he was just so reticent to do anything in in that particular episode. I mean, I can kind of understand that because if if you see an actual proper scary ghost and you're a ghost, you're in the same plane as them. It's not like if you're a human and you see a real scary ghost, you can switch the lights on and you're you know, fine the next day. If you're a ghost, you have to live in the same realm as them. So I, exactly. can, yeah, I can see his exactly. point. Exactly, yeah. But, but, no, but no, actual no major thumbs down. It's, it, was, it generally worked, That's I think. Oh, it had its premise lovely. and it, it executed its premise very well. And most importantly, would you ever watch it again? I think I would. Yes! <laughs> I think I enjoyed the Persuaders a little more, so I may go to the Persuaders mm. first because that was just so daft and so Lossful. silly and so fun. But again, it depends what mood you're in. Because uh, Randall and Hopkirk is a lot less macho. I mean, the Persuaders isn't macho, but they're very randy. They're very hormonal. They are so randy, which can be a bit much sometimes. And these two guys, certainly from these episodes, and obviously you said that Jeff is a bit more of a ladies' man, but it's not oozing hormones in the same way. It's it's really not, and Marty still only has eyes for Jeannie the whole way the whole way through. There's there's no other woman ever. He doesn't even notice them that they exist. Yes, and the, the first episode when uh, Jeff has a bit of a thing for Jenny, Jeannie's sister, mm. uh, he's he's very understated about it. He's quite shy. He doesn't pinch her bottom or make uh, Roger Moore style quips or anything like that. I, I'm very good at sneaking up on birds or any of that kind of dis- yes, distasteful none, stuff. None of that. He's very he's very low key in that respect. If I'm in a, a, a mood for something a bit quieter and a bit less ridiculous, then oh, I'm glad. I think I'd go I'm for really this. Glad. Yeah. Oh, I made yeah. I made up. Oh, excellent. Thank you very much for watching it with me. Uh, it's been oh, you're welcome. Enjoy it's been great it. to talk to you about it. Something for the girl with everything. Thank you again. Uh, for sitting through another episode of RetroTube. Uh, it's been a joy, as ever, and uh, thank you very much for, for joining us on our little adventure. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can always do this. Uh, we are on Twitter, at Retro underscore Tube, or if you would like to send us 
a slightly longer message, you can always email us at retrotubepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we're always happy to hear from you if you've got any suggestions for shows that you'd like us to take a look at, if there are particular things about the shows that you'd like us to focus on talking about even. Let us know what you think. We're always happy to hear from you. Next week, it's Adam's Go. And he has chosen one of his favourite shows, which is... It's the big one. We're going for the big one at last. It's the big one. It's Doctor Who. Damn right it is. Oh, yeah. Uh, So we will be seeing you then. (laughs) (laughs) We got there in the end. We did it, we did it. Oh, I'm so proud of us.